Well, hello, everybody. Good to see you. We're we're a couple. This is our second weekend into this message series, and we are doing this series to try to help us develop something the Bible calls discernment to develop more discernment. Which discernment is the our ability to read a situation and then to act on on it in light of of what we've read about a situation. Not necessarily literally reading, but look at a situation, evaluate what's coming at us through it, evaluate the messages that are coming through a given situation, and then act, to read and act. It's a really important skill in Scripture. And so last week, we gave you some tools and some questions to ask when you take in media. Uh, We take in a lot of media. We all probably like a good movie here and there, and so we figure you're probably going to watch a lot of these movies this summer. These are kind of some of the top box office movies uh, releasing this summer, and so... Has anyone seen any of these yet? Show of hands. Anybody caught? Okay. Who has seen some of the X-Men movies? Any X-Men. Thank you, Brad. All right. Well, we, we want to encourage you that as you take in the media, as you take in these, these movies, that you would screen and carefully uh, filter the thoughts and the perspective that's coming at you. And not just take it in and check out you know, at the door and just go into the relaxed mode of I'm taking in a movie, but actually to screen carefully what's being transmitted at the box office. And specifically with this message series, we're looking at what are the relationship killers that show up in the box office. There are there are six relationship killers that we're going to identify and that are highlighted in each of these six films. And so we want to identify what's the relationship killer, what does the movie say about that? How does that act out or look in the, in the characters? And then what does the scripture teach about that particular area? Uh, we said this last week, but we're not like endorsing these movies. We're not saying, go watch all these movies. But we're saying, we want to really build the practice of evaluating these media messages. And so, one thing is identify the medium. What is the main message coming at us through that movie? What's the hero or who's the hero and what's, what's he stand for? What's rewarded in the movie? What's praised? Who, who's looked down upon? Who's, who's, you know, exalted as the hero and why? And just to be asking more critically the questions that will help us evaluate or develop more of a filter in our lives. Uh, today we're looking at the relationship killer of pride and Pride destroys everything in its path. It's, it's repulsive in our relationships. It is the root problem of the villain that's found, that, it, you know, is playing in this, this movie, X-Men Apocalypse. And so I want to show you a quick trailer of the X-Men Apocalypse. So this is it. Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. Call him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. He always had four followers. Looks like the four horsemen. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together, we will cleanse the earth. Everything they built will fall, and from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one. I've never felt power like this before. They took him, Raven. The world needs the X-Men. I'm not a hero. Your students look up to you. 
If I'm going to teach your kids something, I'm going to teach them how to fight. Follow me. Jafar. I'm not afraid of him. Magneto, he's my father. What? Him and my mom, they did. No, I know. Not all of us can control our powers. Then don't. Apocalypse means to destroy this world. It's all of us against a god and the most powerful beings on earth. So in this, you, you've got this villain, okay, the villain's name is Apocalypse, and Apocalypse, he, he, the claim is that he's a god, and he wakes up after a thousand years of sleeping, and he is, he wakes up to find the world, and he's, he's disillusioned with the way that the world is, and so he's on a, a mission to clean the world up, and to cleanse it, and so he recruits to himself a team of powerful mutants in order to create a new world order. And, and then the X-Men step in, the young X-Men step in, and they assemble together and they team up in order to save the world from this proud and powerful villain named Apocalypse, who, who makes this statement. Here's the statement. You, you heard it in the trailer. Everything, is, everything they've built will fall, and from the ashes from their world will build a better one. And so he's unhappy with the way things are, he wants to rule and reign in this new world, and so he's going to destroy it all. Uh, I did watch this movie last week, on Sunday last, last week. Uh, don't worry, I won't spoil it for you. I'll try not to do that. If you're a huge X-Men fan, I, there was a lot of huge X-Men fans in the theater. And uh, I was just taking it in, and I'd hear this, like, a lot of whispering about people and things going on. And I'm, I'm not as aware of all of that, but there was a lot going on there. More than meets the eye for me. And so, but... At the, at the end of the movie, like, it's coming to the climax and, like, the most exciting part of the movie. You know, I'd been in it for, like, two hours so far. And then, all of a sudden, it's, the lights go out. It turns black. Ah, the screen, like, goes dark. Person comes in. We had a power outage. And we got to, we got to, you know, restart everything. It's going to take us a little bit of time. People are, like, booing. And it's just not a good experience. You know, and it, so they come in and, or they, they reset it, and it's like, first they start it back at the previews, and then they start it back, and it's not at the right place. They start it back, it's not the right place. Eventually, they just let it roll, but it's still like 15 minutes before it shut off, so you're, and it's a late night flick, so it's, we, I think our, the, the movie started at 9.45 or something for us, so, so, anyway, it's playing again, and we're like, okay, it's gonna get there, it's gonna get there, and then we saw a little further, a little further, and poof, goes out again. This time it's like, even more dark in the theater, and then they get on the loudspeaker. We've had a power outage. It's completely black. Uh, please evacuate the building. <laughs> so then it's like, what? So it's that's it. So I can't spoil it for you because I don't. <laughs> I, which I'm horrible at spoiling films. I spoiled some films before. 
Some of you know. You're laughing because it was you, huh? <laughs> but, but here's how this film and its message connects to us. The, the, the main character, he's a very proud villain. He, he, he's, in his, he's a god, and so people serve him. Now, throughout history, mankind has really tried to exalt itself to be like God. This is part of the human condition. Since the fall. We see this in the garden, even with the serpent's temptation. Take a look at Genesis 3, 1 through 5 in your Bible or up here on the screen. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Satan basically begins to tempt here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Satan is, is described as crafty here. He's, takes the form of, he inhabits a serpent and he's, he's crafty. He's, that word can mean shrewd. If you're shrewd, that's not always an evil thing, but here, shrewdness is used for an evil purpose, okay? And so, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, this is a clear command. She knew the command, right? She wasn't confused about what God said. He was very clear. She was confident with these responses. It's not a matter of interpretation. It's not a matter of, we made a mistake, or we forgot what God said. No, there was a really clear boundary. And consequences. God gave... Adam and Eve, he gave them tremendous privilege. If you think about what he's just created, and he's now placed them in this, um, this privileged place to enjoy, and he's, he's given them tremendous privilege to enjoy what he's made. However, they are clearly not on God's level. There was a restriction given to them. You know, you, you're not allowed to eat from the fruit of this tree. Don't touch it. If you touch it, you will die. Like, it's very clear that this is off limits. Uh, they're, they're not on God's level. God, God has the freedom to do what He wants. They're restricted. And so we see this from the beginning, that there's this restriction placed on them. And then look at what happens. The serpent says to them, or Satan says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you want to be restricted? This is the issue. Do you want to be restricted? Limited? Do you want to have boundaries set on you? Or do you want to be like God? Who's unrestricted? Who has all the privileges? Who has nothing? There's no limits. He's got all, all... Everyone serves God. Do you want to be like God? And so Satan, he presents an opportunity to Adam and Eve to rise in rank. Here at this level, you don't want to stay at that level. Take from this. Here's an opportunity to rise in rank, to not be lower than God, but actually to exalt yourself to a position where you're now like God. You're equal to God. And so He holds out, out to them the promise of divinity. Right? And they, they what do they do? They, they bought the lie. And when they bought the lie, serious consequences followed. And then, look ahead. Chapter 11, Genesis. Chapter 11, it says that the people were scattering throughout... <clears throat> well, the whole world, it said, had one language and had a common speech. People were beginning to spread out, but they didn't want to totally obey God's command of filling the earth 
and you know spreading out and filling the earth, multiplying, filling the earth. That means actually branch out, move out. Well, look at what happens. They they have the situation where all the people are in one region. They come up with this idea. Take a look at what they say. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, see, God had told Adam and Eve to fill the earth, right? Multiply, fill the earth. He reminds Noah in Genesis chapter 9, you know, fill the earth. After they're saved, He gives them, He reminds them what, what was said. Go and fill the earth. Well, People don't want to do that. They have a plan, and this is like us. We're told something, but we want to do something slightly different. And so they begin to build this tower in order to reach to the heavens. They're wanting to make a name for themselves. They're wanting to exalt themselves. And it's a futile pursuit. You see in this story of uh, the Tower of Babel that God, He humbled them, He confused their language, He confused, He blocked their ability to be able to communicate with each other and continue this plan. And what, what this forced was for them to now... Uh, scatter around because they couldn't communicate. So they had to separate and go their different ways and people spread. Anytime we exalt ourselves, God, he, he continues to just step in and humble when we exalt ourselves. And you can keep tracing pride through the Bible characters. You can just read through characters and just seeing times where they said, well, we know God said this, but we're going to do this. Where we kind of cast off restraint and restrictions and when, when people just exalt themselves. Another aspect of this film that you see that we can really connect to is the, the superhero, as the villain, he sees himself as God, which many of the supervillains do in these movies. But if you're really God, then you don't need to answer to anyone. Because everyone is there to serve you. Everyone exists to cater to your needs, to bow to you. And so, dominating others, damaging others, that's not the concern of this guy on the screen. Uh, but in the real world, when pride takes over like that, that presents a real problem for the people who are close to us. I want to invite you to take out this listening guide. And at the top of it, you see, this is where the problem begins. It's a hard issue. Relationships are a constant struggle because we all battle pride in our hearts. This is a heart problem for, for us as humans. It's, it's not just a... Uh, an occasional thing that comes upon us from the outside, but it's actually an internal struggle. Part of the human condition. Look at Ecclesiastes 9.3. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he makes this observation near the end of his life. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. This, this summary statement about the condition of people is, you know, our hearts are somehow full of evil. There's this evil intention. Like, the word evil, it means, it can mean hurt or harm or damage. Like, we, we have the capability of damaging one another with our words, with our actions. We know this, right? And we know we have the ability to do this. But more than that, look at what else is in our heart. Our hearts are full of evil, but there's also something called madness in our hearts. The word madness there in Hebrew is the word haolela. And, we, we've sung about hallelujah this morning, I think, in our first song. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what the, what the word means. Halela means to praise self. So it's, it's self-praise. It's self-exaltation. And 
that's what generates our problems in life, is we have pride that continues to plague us. And if Christ lives in you, don't think your pride is, is gone and done away with. But now you have a divided heart. You have part of, you, part of you wants to follow and respond to what God is prompting you to do and, and let Him lead your life. But then there's this divided, dark side of us where we're still, we give in to our pride. According to this verse, if you look at it, the, 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 it's translated here as madness. It's, it's crazy to exalt ourselves. It's crazy to, uh, if you think about what pride is, it's, it's when we, we step up above others. We exalt ourselves above others. Well, you know, we're going to battle with this all of our lives, the scripture says. It's in their hearts while they live and after, afterward they join the dead. So it's not like it's a struggle you can just deal with once and think, oh, I'm past that. I dealt with my pride in my 20s and now I'm done with it. No, it's something you have to continue to battle against. And here's another place where we see this heart problem described. Psalm 75, verses 4 and 5. The psalmist writes, To the arrogant I say, boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak with outstretched neck. We see this strong warning just against arrogance and wickedness. Now lifting up our horns, here's a picture for you. Um, th- this phrase is kind of a metaphor from the animal world where you have this defiant, strutting, self-confidence, right? These, out- these, these horns, this outstretched neck. And whenever we exalt ourselves, whenever we speak or interact with a, with a stiff and outstretched neck, we kind of we step into this boasting and arrogance. We're heading into trouble. It's, it's madness to do that. Because look at what the verse says if you back up. Back up to Psalm 75. Do not lift up your horns against heaven. A lot of times we start being proud and arrogant. We start butting heads with people. But sometimes we're really butting heads with God. We're really even tempted to exalt ourselves to a level where we think we're, we're on God's level. And that's, that's a dangerous place to be. The shift into pride is often more subtle than we think. Pride can creep into our lives slowly. It can show up on the job. At work, you know, we can think to ourselves if our boss is, is making decisions that we disagree with, the thought can creep into our mind, my boss doesn't really understand what's going on here, and so I'm going to do it my way because, after all, I'm just trying to help. But, you know, in our mind we're thinking, I'm at his level, I'm at her level, if she's over me, I'm, I can exalt myself. Or, with my family and friends, I can think to myself, man, they are so sensitive. Let's say we're butting heads on something and we think to ourselves, they're so sensitive. Why? They shouldn't have been offended at that. We were just talking. Or in other words, you know, we try to clear it up. We say, oh, sorry. Sorry for the way. Or sorry about that. In other words, if you are so weak to be offended by that, then sorry. You know, oftentimes when we even when we realize we've hurt someone, we're, we're not willing to name the offense itself. We just kind of blanket the situation with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offended you. That's not really bearing any responsibility. And so pride just creeps in. How, how does it show up in your life? I, how, how does it creep in? What, what relationships do you sense the temptation to exalt yourself in? Check out Proverbs 13.10 says this about pride. Pride only breeds quarrels. This begins to produce 
fights, strife in relationships, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Now, what are some ways that pride breeds quarrels? Here's three. Pride destroys relationships by refusing to first ask forgiveness when we've done wrong. If I've harmed someone, then it's my pride that prevents me from really owning that and asking them to forgive me for what I've done. It's the pride in in me that, that would tell me, you know, I'm in a higher position. I shouldn't have to clear this up. We start thinking our way is the right way. We're in a dangerous place at that point. Pride doesn't leave room for, for being wrong. And it, it says, why should I ask forgiveness you know, when, when I couldn't have possibly done anything to hurt you? And again, the, the characters on the screen, they're gods. They couldn't possibly do anything wrong because everyone there exists to serve them. And so pride, when we exalt ourselves, we step into a, into a different mindset in our relationships with others. And it, it's repulsive when we do this. It's, it's truly a relationship killer. No one wants to be close to someone who's constantly operating in their pride. And it, another thing is, does this, it, it grants, pride destroys relationships by refusing to grant forgiveness. It's my pride that doesn't want to accept someone's apology. You know, when someone says, hey, I, I've hurt you, I, I, I did this, and I'm really sorry. It's my pride that, that says, you know, I, I'm above what you did. I would never have done that to anyone. And so, no, I don't forgive you. How could you hurt me like that? How could you do that to me? It's where we begin to think their sin against us is somehow on some other level that we would have never done. And so instead of choosing to forgive someone, pride chooses to do the opposite. Pride chooses to hold grudges to, be, to get better, which causes relationships to have long-term divides in them until someone chooses to really get the ball rolling and seek real forgiveness. And bitterness and unforgiveness, it's just, it's a repellent. One of my uh, mentors said that it's like if you're unforgiving of others, it's like you've attached a big, spoiled hunk of smelly meat attached to your leg and you just drag it around everywhere you go. And just imagine like a big roast. You know, just... It just stinks up everywhere you go. Unforgiveness, it has that way of doing that. We, we try to form health, healthy relationships. People get close to us and our pride is just people, wow, oh, something smells. Because the unforgiveness, it begins to spread into the room. It, it begins to spread into the way you handle even a healthy relationships. And it, it repels others. Another thing is pride also refuses us it, from teaming up with others. When we get into pride, we have a hard time working well with a team. Do you have a hard time with, with teaming? Or do you, do you tend to be the independent, isolated person that, you know, you're kind of, you're in the corner. There's a group and there's a gathering, but you're off in the corner. You're not teaming well with others. It's, it's our pride that often keeps us from getting close to others. Whether it's a group like this or, you know, with a group of your friends where you just begin to distance yourself. Because our pride, we elevate our thinking it gives us the feeling that we think we know what's right. And apparently, everyone else is off track here. So we separate ourselves until people get on our page rather than we join the group and we team with others. When in reality, the group around us might have some information that we really need. They might have some perspective on some situations that we just don't have. Here, here's a picture. Do you know, does anyone here know what this picture is? Where is that? Where is that? It's a mountain, right? 
<laughs> you know the mountain's name? It's Mount Everest. I heard it over here. It's Mount Everest. Now, if you know which country it's in, don't shout it out, okay? But think about it. What country is Mount Everest in? Now, I got into an argument about this once. And I swore that this was in Alaska. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going down to the bitter end of this argument. I am not yielding. Because it's in Alaska, right? And, and no, it's not. And this guy's like, what are you talking? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, and I was totally convinced that I was in the right here. And I thought, you know, I know this guy. He knows a lot about a lot in life. There's some areas that he knows a lot more than I do. But in this area... I know this. And I, I was not willing to budge. And I was like, what are you talking... Are you kidding me? And we're going back and forth. Are you kidding me? No, you've got to be kidding me. And, and it started getting frustrating. And, and you know, and part of it is, you know, the pride of being an American, I guess. Wanting to claim all the biggest and best things in the world. And, and, he, and so he Googles it and shows me. And I'm like, well, that must be wrong too. Because... <laughs> It, well, where is it? It's, it's in the country of Nepal. I had to double check today because it's in the country of Nepal. And now Alaska has a tall mountain, right? You know the name of Alaska? The, McKinley, right? It's funny, I was talking to this guy today who was here in our first service and he said, you know, when you were, when you were showing this, I thought that was McKinley. <laughs> uh oh, I'm gonna fall off the stage, but. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, so. But pride. It makes us think we know what's best in any given situation. It makes us think we have a corner on the market of the information, and so everyone here needs to do it my way, period. And, and we've all been in those situations where we're convinced we're right, they're wrong, and we're not going to budge. And that, again, that prevents us from teaming with others. When we dig our heels and convince, I was right, you're wrong. Well, why is it that we insist on being right? It's our pride. Our pride that is... It's a heart issue. We carry that around. What is it about us that we have such a hard time admitting that we may be wrong? Now, over time, here's what the effect is. Over time, pride just snowballs and snowballs and destroys healthy relationships. People that are precious to us get damaged by our pride. And these patterns of relating out of pride, they just push people away. Watch the superhero villains. What happens to most of the villains... In most, I mean, don't think about X-Men, just think about all the other superhero movies. You know, if the villain survives, he ends up in some prison somewhere being held by some magnetic, you know, jail cell. And, and like, he's like fuming and he's waiting for the next time to be revenged, you know, to avenge his, his suffering again. And he, but he is isolated. Most of the villains just end up isolated. And pride leads to isolation. And if, if you're at a point in your life where you find yourself really isolated and lonely, I'm not saying it's because you're a prideful person, but that's an area to look at. This is an area to examine and ask, God, is this why I'm finding loneliness? Is this, does this have something to do with what I'm experiencing? It, it could be that, that that's something that God wants you to look into and identify. Now, here's the hope. With, with God's help, our relationships can flourish. This is the hope. Paul, in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, he writes uh, these verses to the church, and he's wanting them to get relationship 
He wants, he wants them to get their relationships right within the church. And so he tells them, here's how to uh, dress every day. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, if our relationships are going to flourish, then we need to adopt a different way of living than what comes naturally to us. The default natural relationship pattern is pride, selfishness, damage to others. That, that's default. So, how do you do the opposite? How do you clothe yourself in compassion? What does that even mean, to clothe myself in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience? You can think of this like similar to putting on your clothes in the morning. You make choices, I'm assuming. You know, you, you make decisions every day about, am I gonna wear the green shirt? Am I gonna wear the blue shirt? Am I gonna wear the blue jeans? Or am I gonna wear the khakis? Am I gonna, am I gonna wear shorts? Or am I gonna wear, Am I going to wear the flip-flops or am I going to wear the tennis shoes? We make all these decisions when we put on our clothes. In the same way, as we, before we really get moving, this is a great verse to memorize. And to put it somewhere where you'll see it early in the morning. Put it near where you brush your teeth and you're cleaning your teeth to actually put on a fresh set of, of character qualities in the, in the day. Here's, let's just define them, a couple of them. The first one is compassion. Compassion is, it, compassion helps us to see the needs of the people around us. Compassion helps us to see the needs of the people around us. Compassion is when we look at the world through their eyes. And it's, it's something that you and I, we cannot do this in a hurry. If we're in a hurry to show compassion, we miss it. I can't understand what's going on in your life if, if I'm in too much of a rush. And sometimes our schedules get so jam-packed that the compassion clothes get left behind. Because... We don't have time for compassion. We don't have time to, to see through, see things from their point of view and step into their world because that's going to take time and I don't have time. But we, we have to slow down to do compassion as a parent, as a friend, as a coworker. We have to slow down to do compassion. To actually choose this would mean I, I literally take the time to see and to think what is it is going on in his world today. And rather than, what is it that I need from him today? What is it that is going on in his world today, her world today? Now, this, this past week was a, was a uh, challenging, emotionally challenging week for me. Our 12-year-old, we flew him off to Texas this week. And he got on a plane, I dropped him off in Orange County, he flew by himself to Texas, to Dallas. And there was a fair amount of coaching, and here's what you're going to do. There's a fair amount of YouTube videos of, of here's what happens in the airport and pictures of what you're going to be looking for. But he's 12, you know, and he's like this big, you know, and in here somewhere. And, 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 and that's the youngest that you can travel alone. And most airlines won't even let you do it. But Southwest allows you to fly a young traveler if the parents deem them responsible enough to do this. And so we deemed him responsible enough to do this. And so we get into the airplane, or the airport, Erica and, and my kids, they dropped us off at curbside. I went in and walked him in, and I said, okay, I'm going to stay behind you a few paces, and I want to watch you do this, and you, you've got to navigate this. And I'm only here for help and some, you know, but I want you to do this. And so he walks up to the ticket counter, and he's like, hi, I'm Gabe. <laughs> and then they, the lady, she did a double take, and she's like, oh, 
hello. <laughs> and then she just started talking with him, and he got his stuff checked in. We get security. He knew the drill. He did everything they were supposed to do. And uh, we, I have him look at the screens to figure out what gate, because he's going to need to do all this to come back to us next Sunday. And it's like, it was a real challenging thing emotionally for me. And I'm not super emotional. My wife likes to say that you've got to check for a pulse on me sometimes. And so, and that's true. But it stirred me up, all these little things. And, and it was like, when we got to the gate and they called for his, his, uh, his plane to board and they, they called, okay, now boarding. And he looked up at me and he says, all right, dad, bye. And he, and I said, bye, Gabe. And I, we gave each other a hug. And, and then he turned around and he got on the plane. Like there wasn't like a, I should have probably said something more at that point. I, I kind of regretted. I should have like said like a great line or something to stick. It was just bye, you know. And then it was all over. And I saw him walk off, you know, and just back turned to me and he's off. And I and then I lost it. And then I had to go to the bathroom to regain my composure for a moment because I wanted to see him fly off. And 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 uh, so anyway, I, I I texted a couple of my friends, you know. That, just pray for me as I'm working through this. And, and one of them took the time this week to call me up for no other reason than just to check on how I was doing. And it was one of those things where it would have been common for him to just say, let's talk about this thing over here. And oh, by the way, how are you doing? You know, But that was the whole point of the call. And I was waiting for the, and you need something, or and we need to talk about something. And the whole thing he was calling for was just to see how I was doing. As soon as I realized that, I slowed down in the conversation and I just allowed that to happen. And, and it, was really, it was really meaningful. But what a difference compassion makes to get into someone's world, right? Compassion is a powerful boost to our relationships, to our friendships, to our families, if we'll slow down. Kindness builds off of compassion. So this next word that Paul gives us is not just getting down on the world to seek to understand them, but then taking the next step to act in their best interest. Kindness is to act in, in someone else's best interest rather than just doing what is easiest or best for us to do. Kindness builds off of compassion. So our actions, they, you know, when they're built off of compassion, they, they have the most effective aim and impact. And then he says humility. Choose to put, put, put humility on. Like put that, put those clothes on. You know, the pride is still in us. It's a heart problem until the day we die. But clothing ourselves, covering up the pride with these other things, choosing to clothe ourselves with these uh, character traits makes a huge difference to battle against. This is the things we do in place of acting in our pride. Humility, it just counteracts the pride. Rather than saying, I'm more important than everyone, it's taking a step down. Humility is when we take a step down from an exalted place and we get on a lower level in order to see the needs of others. Apart from doing this, we we can't see that. C.S. Lewis, he makes this comment in Mere Christianity. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that is above you. And so... In our pride, we miss all sorts of things. In our, and even in our busyness, we do. But back to verse 12, gentleness, Paul writes. Put on gentleness. Gentleness helps us to be mild-mannered with people, even when things aren't going our way. You, te- you sense there's, there's something not working as planned in a relationship. Cho- rather than choosing to get harsh in the moment, raise your voice, change your tone, one-up on the person, instead just choosing a gentle 
pattern of interacting and talking, being gentle, being mild-mannered. And then finally, Paul says, patience. Put on patience. Patience gives us the ability to continue to, to work, you know, to put work into our relationships. Patience is what we choose when we decide, I'm not going to give up on this even when it's hard. This marriage is hard. This friendship is hard. This has been difficult relating to this. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to choose patience. I'm going to stay under the pressure that I'm in right now in order to see what God wants to do. Uh, The patient person really has decided to trust the Lord for an outcome that may come months, weeks later, years later even. So, patience. Then in verse 13, Paul says, Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. That's not something you hear very often. Forgive people. What do we hear? The prevailing thought nowadays in our culture is, if someone has done you wrong, then you have every right to pay them back. You have every right to get even. You know, what goes around comes around. Or he had it coming to him. But Paul is saying, God wants us to choose a totally different approach in our relationships. We're to bear with each other. Well, how, how do you bear with someone? The way you bear with someone is you keep in mind what this verse says at the bottom. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We just keep in mind who we really are. We keep a real clear perspective on our place in life. My place, your place, it's that we're sinful people. We didn't do enough good to get God's attention. We actually were going the wrong way in our lives and God sent His Son to pay a price for our sin and rebellion. He reached out to us. He initiated that with us. And He forgave us of our sins, not because of the good that we did. Not because we were good enough, but because He was good enough to do that. He forgave us first. And so we forgive others since the Lord forgave us first. That's the motivation. That's what helps us keep things in check when we're struggling to grant forgiveness to other people. It's just remembering we don't have it all together. And sometimes we just we need to remind ourselves of, of that. And when someone comes up to us and says, Hey, I hurt you through the way I talked to you yesterday. You know, would you forgive me? That was rude of me. That was unkind of me. You know, this, this verse allows us to say, Yes, and I forgive you. Because I could have easily done that too. It's just to say, Yes, I forgive you. It's, it's not to harbor and allow the unforgiveness to stink up your life and to stay there and drag that around and make them pay. But pride will do that. Pride will destroy our relationships. It creeps in slowly and it eats away at things. You might be here, you might be thinking, I'm not destroying anyone. That sounds so extreme. But it is, it is small choices and conversations generated from a, a, a proud heart that day by day is making an impact that so oftentimes I interact with people near the end of their lives who are living with all sorts of regret because they've lived a, a, a life that, that didn't reflect what God wants. And then they're isolated. And so, God's hope is that we would, again, clothe ourselves in this different, in these different ways as we approach our relationships. <clears throat> Take a look at these next steps at the bottom of your listening guide. And there's a few I want to highlight. The first one is, ask God to show me any subtle ways pride is damaging my relationships. Remember, it's the subtle things. Where is it showing up at work, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your marriage. Second, clear up relationships I've damaged by choosing pride. The first step I always try to remind myself of once I get to the point where I'm ready to to do this is I need to name the offense. 
I needed to call it what it was. If it was arrogant, if it was un, you know, if I was just harsh, rude, if I was unloving, if I was being stingy, I, I need to call it what it was and take responsibility for it. And so the way I clear up relationships, the way we're to do this is just to call, to identify with the sin and admit I, I gave in to that. I chose to do that. Would you forgive me? And then and trust God with um, the help that's needed to, to restore or to mend that relationship. Then last, memorizing Colossians 3, 12 and 13. And I would encourage you to, to put the, commit this one to memory. Put it somewhere where you'll see it. And think in terms of, this is part of my daily routine. Before I head off to work, I brush my teeth. I, I reflect on this verse. And I think about, God, help me. And I literally, I pray, God, help me to choose compassion. Help me to get on get into the world of the people I'm going to interact with. Or, I'm coming home from work. God, help me to take off the, the, the dirt of the day, the stress of the day, and, and leave that there. And help me to, as I engage with these people who are really important, help me to see what's going on in their world and be used by you to just play a role of help, comfort, encouragement. Let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time and thank you for the the way that you... <clears throat> You bring us hope. It's not just you're saying, stop, 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 stop doing these bad things, but, but you give us a, a plan to move forward. And so in these verses, Lord, you're showing us that there's a whole new set of clothes that need to be a part of our wardrobe. And so, Lord, help us to find ways to remind ourselves to do this every day. Because we carry pride around in our hearts. So, Lord, help us to battle. Help, help us to have a plan, a workable plan that will help us battle these things today, tomorrow, in the years, days and years ahead. We thank you for the help that you do provide, Lord. Lord, and we we lift up the just the challenges in the world today, Lord. The news that broke this morning about another terrorist attack, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would grant help and comfort to those who've been hurt. And Lord, that you give clarity and focus to those who are trying to straight or sort out what's gone on. And Lord, um, every crisis, Lord, provides a real opportunity for people to experience your love and your hope. Lord, so I pray that you would um, bring uh, bring hope through uh, the chaos, God. We trust that you're in control, Lord. Help us to continue to walk with you closely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.